Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Phil Tiger. Hello Slackers and welcome to the Slacker Podcast. I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I hope that this winter of discontent is um, treating you as as well as it possibly can. I know it's been um, a little bit difficult for everybody to sort of jump through uh, this lockdown too. Um, I guess it's different wherever you're listening to. Like, I mean, I'm in... The south of England and Brighton at the minute and uh, like we're firmly squarely in the house pretty much um, and it's different for for different locations but I wish you well I wish you all the best and I'm doing my best to create as much content um, to take your minds off it as you as I possibly can I've been using podcasts a lot recently I've been doing a lot of running and it's definitely been really helpful for me I'm also working on another project at the moment that won't become clear mainly till the very beginning of next year um it's a brand new thing i don't don't really want to talk too much about it but it'll mean me tripling quadrupling the amount of content that will be coming out per week it means i'm just going to be busy as fuck (laughs) like 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 scarily amount but i'm really really excited about it but listen I'll, i'll let you know more about that um when I possibly can. I've also started up like a little um, Discord chat uh, for fans of the Slacker podcast, for fans of my uh, chill uh, radio show. Um, basically, the, the, the chill the beasts have have taken to Discord. It's only been up for a week, and there's about 250 people on it, and they're suggestion, suggesting all sorts of albums. Um, they're starting communal playlists together. They're helping each other out with different very various bits and pieces, and it's, it's a really natural environment for everybody to hang out and talk about music and talk about themselves and and just communicate in this uh very sort of isolating world so um i will put a link to the discord group if you've never been on discord before it's really handy it's just like an open chat room it's like a chat room from the 90s but everybody's on it um yes i will i'll link up to that also thank you to um the the patreons big shout out to brandon lee harris um, uh, who I recently did a private uh, Slacker podcast with, which you can get on patreon.com forward slash the Slacker podcast. 
no forward slash slacker podcast there's no the in it um but yeah big ups to everybody who's been donating to it and um supporting um their favorite content much love to you guys and where are we this week with um with podcasts i know we took a a break a couple of weeks ago um but, and we've been absolutely hammering them out. i kind of needed that break to be honest like it was getting a little bit much i think i'd gone completely weekly um since the start of the year so it's nice to have that week off the last couple of podcasts that we've done if you haven't heard them action bronson was last week matt berninger the lead singer from the national kurt file jake bug idols daniel avery jarvis cocker heim leanne Le Havas, jaden smith bob geldof sleaford mods ksi finney johnny borrow phoebe bridgers run the jewels yeah i mean they're all up there and they are there for for you to enjoy and and share if you like it's been absolutely months as well since i've said you know like and share or subscribe or rate and review or whatever but yeah if you do like the podcast and and you're like right well, i don't have I, i'm not giving i'm not giving you any of my damn money you're not getting into my pockets um but if you do enjoy it and and you want to show some sort of support for it like go and give it five stars on the on whatever podcast app it is you listen to it that stuff definitely does help you know uh okay right this week it is um my pleasure to introduce um tim minchin uh, an american sorry australian <laughs> that would have been a great start to the podcast hey it's the american tim minchin um he is the australian raconteur he's a comedian He's a, a writer, he's a, a singer, he's a poet. Um, he's just one of these sickeningly talented people who is just very, very good at a lot of different things. And he is just an incredible human being. Um, I had one of my sort of deeper chats with um, Tim on this uh, podcast. We talked about everything from music to humanism and, and everything in between. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. I definitely enjoyed editing it anyway. This is the Stacker Podcast with Tim Minchin in three, two. One. Joining us on the Slacker podcast today, we've got Tim Minchin. How you doing? I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm in Australia. It's five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. I should be having a drink. I was good. Yeah. I found myself drinkless. Well, it's it's ten o'clock in the morning on on uh, on Thursday. I should be have. I'm Irish. I should be having a drink. You should be a couple down by now. Yeah, exactly. You should have a couple of frost monsters. That's I what that, that's what my uh, my friend I, used to call them. My Australian friend used to go, Do you want a frost, frost monster? monster. <laughs> frost monster. Um, I uh, I think it would be a good idea. But I've got a little bit of press at about eight o'clock tonight, so potentially it could get really messy and ill-advised. So it's probably quite good that I found myself drinkless on this one. Do you do you not find that like your tolerance to alcohol has to go up when you're in in media circumstances? Because those chat shows don't like I've heard before the, on the chat shows they they ply you full of booze, right? Yeah, I suppose it's been a while since I did that sort of circuit, but I definitely living in Australia now I, and trying to promote this album in America and, Australia, and England and, of course, I can't go there, so it's all in this kind of style um, you've got to be careful because you do... I mean, I tend to be pretty loose-lipped anyway. I'm not one of these controlled people who have a 
message and just say the message. I'll talk about anything, you know. But if I've had a couple of drinks, I can. I, I do have to be careful that I don't just go blah 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 and say something I regret. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've like been slack as an asshole. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, it, it, it's it's just that's fact. That's not even like that's you can't. You can't it's boring. It's just that's, been said. that's just fact. Um, but like. I think uh, yeah, I've been on both sides of it. Like I released a book last year and did lots of interviews and stuff around that. And um, yeah. I don't like being on the other side of it. I like asking the questions because I'm like you. I think I'll give a bit too much away sometimes, and then I yeah. I'm walking out of the place going, "Why the fuck did I say that?" <laughs> I know uh, mine's like a um, just a com- compulsive sort of honesty. Like <clears throat> I can't. I've been doing it for so long that it's now kind of my thing. Yeah. And so so to become more media savvy and more quotable and less talkative would actually sort of damage my brand or whatever. So <laughs> now like talking too much and being very honest is is my vibe. So I've sort of got myself in trouble or I've set myself free or something. This is uh this is the bed that you've made and you just gotta yeah. lie in it now and that's that's how it goes. I'm just gonna, so it's my bed and I'll shag in it. Um, so the, the the start of the podcast, we always play a demo, um, uh, an early demo from um, from the artist in, in mention, um, and we have a demo of yours here, um, which is called Airport Demo. Was Airport the name of the track, or was like did you record it in an airport, or what's the story? The, the track's called Airport Piano, and it's coming out tomorrow, which when this goes to air is probably in the past somewhere. Um, and the opening line is, "I wrote this song on an airport piano." Um, but yeah, I do all my demos on Logic and I, I, most of my demos sound like shitty versions of the end product uh, as opposed to like hacking it out on a ukulele under a tree somewhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the song's called Airport Piano. Right, let's hear it. A dude at the subway Anxiously digs through his cabin bag, smiles when his wallet appears. Pays for his six inch, then forgets that his bag is unzipped, so the contents of it is disgorged, and a jar of Viagra starts rolling away. Women in four wheel drive Porsches always look miserable. I don't know why they're so sad. Maybe it's the calories they should have had Filling them up with regret That was airport demo, um, a, a demo from Tim Minchin. What what was like the 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 date on that? Like, was that like a a recent one? When did you write that? Yeah, it's pretty recent. I mean, I I sort of wanted to give you something from this record, and um, I sort of it's about I guess I wrote that a couple of years ago, or not even eighteen months ago. But like lots of songs, its origins are a scribbled down lyric five years ago or something. I think. Um, the core, the hook line in the chorus is the women in SUV Porsches always look miserable was definitely a, a line I wrote now when I was living in, in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the kind of opening line, I wrote this song on an airport piano or something I scribbled down 
when I walked past an airport piano at some point and thought I, I have time, I should sit down. And um, I didn't, of course, but I wrote a song as if I did. And and then you you know some years later I went oh maybe those two things are the same song and I can kind of make all those ideas fit. Do you have like a sort of a jigsaw puzzle kind of like lyrics floating about like like written down places like um, notepads on your phone like on random bits of laptop? Yeah, every now and then there's uh, it's scribbled down, but mostly I just plug it into you know. I'll, either send myself an email so I don't forget or just put it in my notes. There's something there's something ridiculously unsexy about that, isn't there? Like I do the same thing when I'm like totally. when I, I I like email myself like, oh I I wanna make this dinner or I've got an idea for something that I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> like Dear I, Philip. Yeah. You I, should <laughs> make this lovely supper. Love Philip. You're See si- you there. You're sincerely historic <laughs> philip asked <laughs> uh, me yeah i don't know i just like i, I kind of want the want somebody just to reply someday if i ever ask that question again and just be like going oh, I, I have a quill <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, uh, I, I scratch it into my forearm yeah, with a stick i have duck leather a duck leather book and a, and a quill and that's what i write it yeah. all in but i remember like uh, yeah. years ago um eminem had a, a notepad and he lost his shit because he lost his notepad he was on a flight and left the notepad behind and he said his whole album was in there and you're like you're probably worth like tens of millions hundreds of millions of pounds you can't kind of just leave random notepads lying behind have you ever lost any music before um not for many years i mean uh not that not that i remember i feel like i've definitely lost ideas before I started, so the two ways I remind myself of ideas, one is just type in lyric ideas into notes and the other is I use voice memo on my phone and play little phrases into it or sing little phrases into it. Um, and I'm pretty sure some of them have gone missing but I don't even remember what they were. You have this vague sense of an idea that you liked in the middle of the night or some, you know, when you were fiddling around one day. And I do think about the songs I never wrote <laughs> The, the phrases that came into your head that might have been good. But I also think if you have a good idea, it'll probably stick. If you have a good melodic idea, it's likely to stick. If you've forgotten, it probably wasn't all that crash hot anyway. But um, uh, I, you'd be a, yeah, I, I really think you'd be pretty stupid to write all your lyrics in a notepad on a plane and that be your only <laughs> copy. I think Kitson lost his note. I think Kitson lost, lost his jokes in progress once wow that'd be a befuddling read for whoever picked it up yeah exactly because like uh, nobody ever understands your notes like like you do like no. I, I i do a radio program once a week on radio one and i like i come in with nothing and i just sort of like shoot from the hip or whatever but like i have a piece of paper that will have like abraham lincoln drawn in a corner and like, some yeah. notes of things that i have to say and a time whatever time yeah. I have to hit the last right. If, if you looked at it, it would look like something that was like scrawled in shit on the, uh, on the side. Someone with serious psychological problems <laughs> right on a toilet wall. Yeah, I don't, I, I, my notes tend to not be legible. I mean, I know what they say, but um, when I'm writing them down. But uh, yeah, I, I, I actually, as you say, it's unromantic. And I've had many notebooks over the years that, especially when I'm in note sessions with other people, like when we were, writing Groundhog Day or collaborating, mm. that's when I use paper because you don't want a screen. A screen is a barrier to the chat. So I scribble things down on paper then. Um, 
but mostly the, the writing things down on a set. Like if I have an idea for a song, I open a Word document, write the hook line, and then give the Word document that title and put it in a file because that goes, okay, you've got a blank piece of paper that you need to fill from that idea. So it's not even like lots of ideas in a list. It's a whole Word document for one idea. And they, they all sit there in my songs in progress file. And although that's nerdy as hell and super unsexy, it really suits my brain. There's, there's something about um, that like level of creativity, the, the before and the during that are so different. I think like um, when, when I tried to sit down to like write something like uh, uh, creative, I'll have an idea in my head. I'm like going to go and sit, sit down. This is what I want to write. And then when I sort of look at it after I finished, it's like the, the opposite way. And I'm like, going, <laughs> where the fuck did that come from? Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's... Uh and without exception, all those old, those tropes you see on the internet, you know, the artist journey is, um, this is a brilliant idea. This is a terrible idea. Everything I've ever done sucks. This is a brilliant idea. You know, that arc you go on, mm. it completely applies. Every song I write, for whether it's for theatre or movies or my record or comedy or whatever, I initially think it's probably pretty cool. Then I have to push my way through it like just make myself keep writing it, even though somewhere quite early on I went, oh, this is crap. I have to push through that and just write all this stuff down. I think this is crap, this is crap, this is crap, this is a write-off. And then at some point I walk away and come back and go, oh, look what I did. That's quite good, actually. <laughs> do, you, do you need the, the sort of um, acceptance of, of other people? Like do you, do you need somebody else to, ha- like, I know I do a little bit. Like I need somebody else to go, that's actually all right. Or like it, it helps. Like I don't need it, but it helps to have somebody sort of help with the creative? Yeah, I I used to play stuff to my wife, Sarah, and now I um, don't so much anymore because she's she's unable to pretend she likes something if she doesn't, <laughs> and her taste is not really my taste anyway. Like she loves everything I do in, a, in that she loves me and she thinks I'm a nice chap and I do my best. Um, but you know, when she when I first play a song, she doesn't necessarily hear what I'm hearing in it. Um, I, it's incredibly gratifying when you send a demo off. In the case of my record, for example, to my producer or some of the guys I'm playing with, and they like it. It really is a huge relief. But I reckon I don't know what you think, but there's this weird thing where once you send it, you kind of have clarity on it anyway. Yeah. Even if the person hasn't listened to it, the act of sending it makes you, your brain go to the thought of them listening it and the, and the thought of them listening to it gives you clarity on it, like gives you some objectivity. So by the time they come back with their feedback, you already know what it was. You know, you're always like, oh, well, no, she'll like that because of this and she might not, think, you know, like <laughs> um, it's quite weird. Just the act of sending it out into the world clarifies your thoughts on it and gets you out of this solipsistic like, oh, suddenly is an object in the world that you can be more objective about that's like well with music you don't get that opportunity that you do with comedy and that you can like go and like tell a story 10 times and refine it and then the the 11th time that you've told it or the 100th time you've told it you've really like managed to scrape away all of the fat and you've got this really lean great joke whereas music when it's out there it's out there you don't really change it after the fact do you well, it's interesting because this is my first studio album. I've been writing songs for 35 years. Yeah, that blew I've my mind. I made a record, yeah. <laughs> I thought you and, had and one. Obviously, yeah, obviously I put out all these live DVDs and I, 
play with orchestras and I'm, you know, I'm probably the only Grammy nominated artist on the planet who at 45 had never put, never put a record out. But um, <laughs> I guess, I guess I put out um, the Matilda cast recording, but you know, that's obviously not my record. Um, but um, the, I, I, yeah, I think um, the difference is because so much of my material got worked up in a comedy start well, in, on the comedy circuit in theatres, my songs that I've been playing for years, like Prejudice and If I Didn't Have You and Rock and Roll Nerd and all those um, silly songs, they constantly evolved and evolved. But unlike comedy where it gets, uh, you hone it and it gets shorter and shorter and sharper and sharper, these songs just grew and grew and grew until like <laughs> Dark Side, which started at three and a half minutes. I think when I played it on my Albert Hall show with the Heritage Orchestra, it goes for 10 minutes. <laughs> is, it because of, is it because the silence can like really add to the, the drama of the oh, joke, actually, right? No, although that is that is absolutely the case, isn't it? When you're doing a bit of stand-up, you don't take into account that you've got these beats and then the laugh and it all gets longer. Definitely with my comedy songs, leaving space is something that comes later. But mostly it's just that my concerts have always been uh, just to having fun with music is as important as having fun with words. So my cheese song is like a rhapsody in five movements. It really is. And I, I play with amazing players and we have solos and it's like going to a, a gig, you know, it's like a Grateful Dead gig, but stupider. I, I, I would imagine like if you, you could get up on stage and play piano all night and play with the band and, and, and stuff like that, right? Um, and that would be fine. And that's you playing music. But would you be able to get up on stage and know that there's no other like musical instrument that you can grab or play or anything can you just get can you just get up and just talk straight for like an hour? Um, I can and have, uh, but I've ne- no, I haven't done an hour. I, I don't think I'd have a problem doing an hour. Um, but I don't see stand up as my mode. Yeah, as your, as I, I think your, I, I got I got okay at it. Um, but about the time I got okay at it, I decided I uh, I wasn't that interested in it. I mean, I'm totally interested in it and hugely admiring of the people who are brilliant at it. And I, I, I certainly knew I would never get to Stuart Lee or Kitson or, you know, but I, I just decided that I didn't want to get distracted by the competitive sport of stand-up, you yeah. know, don't you reckon? Uh-huh. In Britain especially, it's a competitive sport and it's super judgmental and some of the best comics always disappoint me when they start panning lesser comics I'm like oh come on like you're too good for that and I mean not disappoint me sounds very judgmental I'm always like oh really we're doing that um and I decided that my I just decided that especially with the the orchestra show that to have an orchestra and be in arenas and try and create a spectacle and then go and here's my five minutes it's like I didn't want it to be that I want it to be like a theatre show that has funny bits and moves in and out. And so I, I got less obsessed by the punchlines and more into just making sure the whole thing was just really entertaining is what I wanted. And, of course, to make people cry at the end with a lovely ballad that takes them by surprise and all those you know, like cabaret things that um, comedians would rather die than be seen to be sincere. So it was a pretty natural um sort of evolution then really sort of once you were getting more into the musical side of things that like going down the musical theater route which is something that you like studied and and you know like it wasn't something you sort of 
just stepped upon is it like like i, I was <laughs> i was looking at your youtube and i was like how many letters is that guy gonna have next to his name uh, well, most of the letters next to my name are fake. They're like honorary degrees and shit. And um, don't know where you saw them next to my name. But yeah, all those all those degrees are um, uh, not real. But um, the I, I didn't really study musical theatre. But it, that's the thing about, especially in Britain, people go, "Oh, that comedian's doing other stuff now." And it's like, well, no, that other stuff guy briefly did comedy. You know, <laughs> I I was writing music for theatre. My first score yeah. for youth theatre was when I was 17 and I was acting and doing Shakespeare in the Park and um, I played in jazz bands and wedding bands and rock bands and original bands and I, I, I was a musical director for cabaret acts and I did all this stuff and then it all sort of coalesced into this show that was really cabaret but I called it comedy and suddenly I was a comedy guy and I and bless you mob over there I got to come there and you guys embraced the hell out of me and it was just amazing but only three years into my comedy career Matilda came along so really mm. comedy is the thing I got known for but um all I've ever wanted to do is do everything is like go oh I'll try this now I, I I never had a desire to become the most famous comedian I could in fact I very uh sort of clearly got quite well known and just stopped well there, there was that sort of time when you were doing a lot of different things and people weren't able to pigeonhole you and that that was a drawback mm. for your career like when when you were sending stuff to in the early days yeah and in, in the very early yeah. days like sending stuff to record labels or, or getting the right booking agents and, and basically like, trying to attract the industry you were kind yeah. of in the middle of the venn diagram of many different things which scared yeah. the shit out of uh the people well, I don't think they believed it. Yeah, and that's true. And I, for a little while, thought, well, I better, you know, I better like brand myself. So at one point, in, when I lived in Melbourne, I cut my hair off and called myself Timothy Minchin and went and got an acting agent. And for a while, I was like, my acting self was called Timothy, and my music self was called Tim. And I had a like <laughs> comedy show and a serious band, and I was trying to be what I thought that area of the industry wanted me to be. And eventually the absolute opposite is the thing that worked. I went, I'm going to put a show together that just shows off everything. So early on in my comedy career, I was doing like quirky characters and poems and then playing some jazz and then doing a bit of a monologue. And it's like super chaotic. And really that's what became my comedy show was just me going, actually, fuck yours. I'm going to get up on stage <laughs> and show off. I'm just going to show you everything I can do because yeah. actually what's unusual about me is I can do a few different things and I need to make a virtue of that instead of trying to separate them all. Well, I think that's that's uh, more power to you for doing that because you can't move on and become... Like, the next exciting thing hasn't happened yet and it, it scares the shit out of people but, but because yeah. it doesn't fit into the, the pre-molded um, paradigms of this is comedy, this is music, this is poetry, yeah. this is vaudeville, this is cabaret, this is whatever. Yeah. And that's that scares the shit out of people because they don't know how to market it, which means they don't know how to make money from it. Um, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's the lesson I eventually learned in Hollywood trying to make a, a different film, you know, like they're like, we don't know what this is. And I'm like, you don't need to, it's going to be wicked. And they're like, <laughs> too scary, too scary. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. But that's it. And again, like the, the, the time that you had in, in LA was, you write about it in this, this new album, um, mm. um, leaving leave LA. Um, and yeah. there was a, I want to read this comment because the comment like, had me pissing myself laughing. Where is it? Um, I don't normally go through the comments. It's not actually like I can't remember the last time I actually did an interview and I brought a comment up from YouTube. Um, yeah, well, that's, for, that's the scariest thing in the world. It said, "Leaving LA." Yeah, YouTube comment says, "For context, if anyone's interested or didn't know already, which is in brackets, Tim has to be largely involved with the production of an animated musical film called Larkins that started production in 2013. It was going to star the likes of Hugh Jackman and Margot Robbie. He spent a lot of time and hard work on it." to the point where he and his family moved to L.A., so when production was abruptly cancelled in 2017, dot, 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 well, dot, 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 the song speaks for itself. Thank you very much, commenter, for your uh, <laughs> filling in the history. I was yeah. like, I don't even yeah. need to write a question for this. I'm just going to read it out for a bit. Of yeah, totally. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, that's pretty correct. Yeah, I spent four years making an animated film for my sins and uh, got shut down. So leaving L.A. is not... Well, Leaving LA tries to be a song about um, this very tempting metaphor of the Hollywood sign being this very famous but, frankly, two-dimensional and not very special thing Mm. Um, and how that acts as an analogy for the city in general, which is very famous but, frankly, quite two-dimensional and not very special. However, the song hopefully also reflects my incredible fondness for the city. I, I, I consider that song a breakup song. And like all breakups, what, what you do is you try and think of all the things you didn't like about that person. You know, when you're trying to talk to your mates about a breakup, you go, oh, yeah, she was this and that and the other. And even as you're saying it, you're going, but also she was this and that. But you're trying <laughs> to focus on the bad things to yeah. make yourself feel better. And that's what leaving LA, even though he's listing all this stuff that sounds like he's contemptuous of it, the melancholic sort of reflection of it makes you go, ah, oh, he's really fond of that place and he's trying to make himself feel better. And there must be the feeling of like not closing the chapter properly on it. Cause like, no, you don't want to leave somewhere with some, with the job that's, that you came over to finish, not finished. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There must be that. Yeah. Too. I hate that. The, My personality does not suit that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it is, it leaves, it leaves an open book. And I, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm like that as well. I, I, I totally get that. Like where you want to draw a line under something so you can start something else. And like the, the, That's right. the idea doesn't permeate into something else. Sometimes I wonder about my, my little, my little movie, my little movie, me and the co-director and the writer and the hundred other people who spent years <laughs> working on it. Uh, our little film, our little hundred million dollar animated musical that never was. Sometimes I wonder I was so down about the waste of time and the loss of work and the loss of friendships, really. Mm. Not that I had to lose the friendships, but we were a community and the the thing we were doing got taken away from us. And I was sad about all of that. But I sometimes wonder what what if it came out and it was a massive critical flop and (laughs) popular flop 
would that have been worse? Like, yeah. is, is it better that I get to go? It was going to be amazing. And those Hollywood fools shut it down. But if they'd let it come out, it would have won Oscars, you know, and I can have that narrative and hold it to my heart and soothe myself. Whereas if it came out and everyone hated it, there'd be no, there'd be nothing I could do. I'd just have to go, I was, didn't, no, we yeah. didn't do a good job. Oh my God, I'm finished in this town. <laughs> I'm never going to work in this town again. How far along was it? And, uh, and, really if it is that far along and they don't want to put it out like i don't know what the legalities are of it like but can you not own it after uh, a while yeah. no it's a it's a big old boring discussion but um other other animation studios tried to pick it up and universal pictures made it um financially non-viable kind of deliberately so that they didn't look like idiots if it was a success yeah oh, it's 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 proper nasty it's not nasty it's just um it's just Hollywood. It's just business. They're like, we're going to shut this down. It was three quarters of the way finished really in time, um, half finished in content, 52 million or 50, 48 million dollars already spent on it. Jesus Christ. And they used that amount of money as a write-off, you know, as, against the purchase of the studio as a kind of uh, whatever. And they just, they said to me, we just didn't know. We didn't think it was going to make money. And I went, well, you don't really know because you're, suits and you know nothing about animation and or, or what you mean is it didn't look like anything else that had made money but neither did shrek you know yeah um yeah. And, and in fact disney thought uh, frozen was going to be a flop until six months to go and they audience tested that freaking song you know so you they didn't know they knew damn, damn well they didn't know but they decided to write it off and then they made sure that no one else, it couldn't be worth anyone else's while financially to continue to make it because they would look like idiots if, oh, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. And I don't yeah. want to slander anyone. Okay. But, yeah, it's all that shit. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Work. If there's somebody that, yeah. you, like, you don't want to go after its Hollywood uh, execs because they, you don't they, want Comcast, who own Universal, who yeah. own DreamWorks, <laughs> they, suing you. They, Comcast is basically like Jesus smiting you. That would be really bad. They have better lawyers than I do. My my mom is pretty 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 hot up in the box there, but like yeah, is she? <laughs> that even your mom wouldn't be able to stand up to Comcast. I think their lawyers have an entire building just there on the highway five or whatever it is what was like the thing that you loved about hollywood what was like what was what would bring you back there well i don't think i'd go back there because i'm i very much love working and i don't no look i, I could well go back there but i even the people i love over there have a sort of it's not a place for people who go i just want to make good stuff I just want to put good ideas into the world, you know, hey. and that's me really. I'm just like that nerd. And I like, like, I like having done well. And, but I just mostly, I want to put good stuff into the world. Like, like I, I think a lot about the morals of it and all that stuff. Mm. So it's probably not. And I know that's really righteous and stuff, but that's just my small town something. But I loved living in the Hollywood Hills. It happens that my wife and my kids just like, we found a really good school and we made really nice friends and I kind of learned to snowboard and went up to Mammoth and snowboarded and went hiking through Griffith Park near where we lived. And Did you have like um, a celebrity friend and a celebrity friend with children that hung about with your children? I always just imagine that uh, that's what happens when you go to Hollywood. I, I mean, we knew, we knew some, uh, <laughs> some names you'd know, but 
we we early on went to quite a few of those parties and just decided it wasn't for us i, I thought I it was like curbier it. enthusiasm <laughs> like you know curbier enthusiasm where like you've got like yeah. larry david going over to yeah. ted's house and they're all just going they're talking about what they're having for dinner and you're just like god what is your what is that life what is that life where like they've all got hundreds of millions in the bank and they just sit around just going i go for coffee might buy a jumper today like, that's the big thing oh man i've seen so I know so many of those people and they're good people. They're no different from anyone. They're just, yeah. the only difference is they can't really go out and it's awful. And, and really you don't want it, but there's no point me sitting on a podcast going, you don't want it because if, <laughs> if you think you want it, you're going to go for it. And if you get it, you're going to sort of feel a bit sad, but that's right. You'll be rich and sad and it's good. Like you're a very recognizable person. Um, uh, where do you get harangued the most? And like, uh, is it is it Britain? Is it Australia? Is it the US? in this suburb here in Perth, West Australia, by the beach? And it's not really haranguing. It's that everyone knows someone who knows my mum, or everyone knows <laughs> my family. Yeah. So the fact that I'm a bit of a celeb means, but not only that, but they've all got a good in. So you know, when people <laughs> recognise you on the street, mostly people either go, oh, that's that guy off telly, I hate him, he's ugly, or, oh, that's that guy off telly, I really like him, oh, I'd like to say hello, but I don't want to interrupt him in his day, you know? And then there's the group who go, oh, I want to talk to him, what am I going to say? And that group of people in Perth, they all know what they're going to say, because it's like, I used to work at the hardware with your cousin, and then my daughter went to Scotch, <laughs> and I know you, you know, like that. So, so, um, so this is where I can't move around much. Uh, and, and after that, London, really. I've been that person, the like the person who goes up to people. I've done it twice. Like a, I've done it a couple of times, I reckon, right? What, once I was like, uh, I was in a bar in Madrid and Kevin Bridges was sitting at the bar. And I was like, I fucking love Kevin Bridges. He's one of the funniest comedians <laughs> about. I'm going to let him be. I'm a bit pissed. And the last thing he needs he is, doesn't need is me going up although like kevin bridges was sitting in the pub chatting away to everybody holding court so i think he probably was enjoying himself but on the flip side of that being as dead on and sound as i was there i was equally probably if not worse a ball bag to um john lithgow <laughs> oh really oh he's lovely i was we were my my band was playing like when when i was a kid was playing in dublin and we were driving past and I had like a bass amp, a big, huge um, what, what, uh, Ashdown bass amp on my knee. And as we were driving past, I, I, I started stuttering. I was like, it's, 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 it's your man. It's your man. <laughs> so I just wound, it's old, mate. Yeah, so we, I just wound the window down and I didn't know what to say. As we were driving past, I just put, put my, put my head out the window. And I was like, hi, third rock. And he turned around and I was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not proud of that i'm not proud of that uh, it was like a fan moment that yeah i was like i love you yeah, I, the, I don't know what to say i'm just gonna say yeah the you. worst thing is that there's lots of different versions of it and i, I i'm i'm very lucky I, I think my level of uh recognizability is probably quite nice i get especially in australia with my sort of activism -y stuff i get a lot of people coming up um talk you know saying when you wrote that song my cousin who had been abused by priests like talked about it for the first time and all mm -hmm. that stuff that really lovely stuff mm -hmm. but um uh the the worst that well there's two the drunk ones who like think that they have to be really funny and that they're going to show you how funny they are and uh 
probably worse is the people who just go, I'm going to be super cool. And they'll be <laughs> super cool. And you're like, don't come up to me and be super cool. Like, if you want to be super cool, don't come up to me. Don't come up to me and be super cool. Like, come up and go, hi, Tim, I'm Stephen. I really enjoyed this. And, you know, like, yeah. like if you want to pay me a compliment, pay me a compliment. You don't have to. You can hate me, but don't be cool. Like, yeah. fuck cool. What's up I've never you? been cool to anyone in my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Must be shit. Must be shit having to put up with. They they go. Oh, it must be shit having people come up and talk to you in the street. Eh? I won't bug you. Um, it's just like all that's unnecessary. If you've come up, say something nice. Yeah, I'll have a photo. And I'll be really genuinely grateful, and then that'll be it. That'll be lovely. Well, you you mentioned the the sort of like the the sort of social action and stuff that you've done before like in the activism sorry um how does it feel in 2020 when you're like a creator and stuff is it is it hard for that like stuff like i don't know like the, the pandemic anti-vaxxers fucking blm um god like where do we stop with um yeah do you know what i mean like is it hard to create without that sifting into your consciousness it's a really big good question i guess I'm not sure how interesting I am as a respondent to it, but I have made a decision that for my own mental health and kind of for what I think the world needs now, I mean, there's absolute huge validity, obviously, and necessity in the Black Lives Matter movement and in all the people standing up for justice as they see it for their uh, identity and their political uh, group, I think the world's in a very, very tough place. And I made my career on polemic and on eviscerating what I saw as uh, poorly formed ideas and philosophies, right? So good. I think that was a fine thing to do. But then the, you know, Twitter came along and the whole world was just people being polemical, being eviscerating and I have sort of over the last couple of years decided that I am going to try and firstly disengage a little bit not not because I don't I, I don't think ignorance is great it's just that I was getting very unhappy and that unhappiness is not good for my children and stuff with all the anger and I was addicted to Twitter and the news and all that so I pulled back from that and through this year all I've tried to do is put out work that some people might like and try to use my privileged position of, of still um, being able to work and not being broke because so many of my fellow artists and, and production people have no work. I've just tried to keep generating a bit of work, generating work for my audience, but also generating a bit of employment where I can for session musos or, you know, camera crews to make music videos and mm. trying to just, just trying to be positive while I've, while the, while the ship lists, um, <laughs> it's just big. trying to make stuff and to talk a bit about the slightly bigger things. This album is really about, you know, about time and love and death and, you know, it's a bit of a bigger record philosophically and, and I, I, I feel like that's right for me at this time in history. Is it... Um because this is your debut album and it and it's coming out and it's not a comedy album and it's like you know you, very much yourself laid uh sort of 
for want of a better bare. term. Yeah, yeah, laid bare. Um, I was about to say laid raw. <laughs> there, what the, what yeah, does that, well, I'm like, what does that you, mean? You, I, I did this. I did Slacker podcast, and he laid me raw. <laughs> <laughs> There's my soundbite for Instagram. Yeah, um, that's it, yeah. <laughs> but like, does does it does it feel different putting it out to to putting anything else out because. I don't know. I don't know what the psychological, what's going on in your head, putting putting this out. It, like, how do you feel? <laughs> what were you thinking, Timothy? <laughs> no, no. You had a perfectly good career with the silly, silly. <laughs> um, look, as I said earlier, I, I I'm just a singer songwriter with lots of opinions, and I, I I've always written songs, and I've just taken a long time to get a record made because I got busy writing theatre and doing cabaret shows, and but it's not a big for for fans, for like people who have really got into my work, this is utterly unsurprising because actually mm. the people who really get into my work, they come for prejudice and cont and fuck I love boobs, but they stay for beauty as a harlot and white wine in the sun and not perfect. And sorry, I'm talking very indulgently about my own stuff, but my fans stick around because when the ha-ha of the funny wordplay is gone, there's all this other material that I've always played, even in my comedy shows. When I toured the UK last year, um, a third or half of the songs are there to make you feel and think and even shed a tear. And some of them are incredibly small, sincere moments. And I think what I'm good at is getting the balance right, is being able to take people in all these directions. You know, it sounds so sort of trite to describe it but I, I think hit, that's what my shows are I always hit that word um, dramedy <laughs> yeah I've never well I, me too I'd but never heard that word before until about yeah. two, two years ago I I banned it from the writer's room so so the other thing that's happened in the last year is um, I was heavily involved in writing and um, acting in this TV show Upright which I really like and um you know, it's gone really well in the UK and, and in Australia and it's just out in America and it's all around the world. And it's funny, but it's, it, you should watch it and get mm. back to me because uh, I think it will undo you, even, even you. Um, <laughs> it, it is, it's really hits people in the heart bones. And, um, and so this album for people who are actually kind of following what I do is, is just a, very natural thing and in terms of being laid raw or laid bare the <laughs> the it i've i've always written like this i've always written slightly awkwardly honestly and that sometimes has been used for comedy comic intent uh and this this in this album there's still heaps of quirky lyrics and heaps of sort of me style turns of phrase and overuse of syllables and stuff but it's just a lot more, um, it's something to listen to in your lounge room. The reason I never put my comedy songs into a studio album is because I think comedy songs in a studio album is the shittest thing ever. <laughs> but I want people to be able to put a yeah. record on that I made. So I sort of made it a slightly more contemplative thing, I guess. Who Who's your um, guru when it comes to wordplay? Like, who, who do you look at? Like, because like wordplay, you know, it works brilliantly across <laughs> all mediums um but yeah. like like who are your sort of comedic wordplay artists um uh like your sort of lyricists like who, who do you enjoy 
I guess so the, all, I, all I the old that. all the old British comedians seem to be like like that seems to be half the jokes like the two Ronnies like Ross Abbott yeah stuff like that yeah that's like playing with games and and obviously um, um, Tom Lehrer who was this incredible uh, American pianist comic and but but really for me it's because I was brought up uh, in a very sort of theatery I went to a lot of theater and so the play with work I mean the bands I love like the Kinks all the British bands the Kinks and uh and Queen and and the Stones and the Beatles they all had this I mean you think about the Beatles they were just having a laugh a lot of the time Mm -hmm. a lot of their songs but especially all their banter when they're on tour and all their movies they made and all their they're just four boys having a proper laugh and and half of the kink stuff these days would be called the Americans would want to call them novelty songs, like dedicated follower of fashion. Or yeah, I, I suppose, but like or, that. But I don't see them as novelty songs. And like the no, the, the, be, the Beatles there, stuff. There shouldn't be a word that shouldn't even be a phrase. I mean, you're just writing songs, and there's lots of different ways to write songs. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Like, I mean, like thinking of the like the sort of the quote unquote novelty song. They're normally more one-hit wonders than anything yeah. else. Like, uh, and it's like someone who's learnt three chords on a ukulele, and it's a the fact that it is a song is funny. But my stuff's never been like that. My stuff's always been musically as ostentatious as it is thematically. I mean, my stuff's calling it a novelty song is, um, yeah, is a little diminishing because because they're so they're quite. Com- they're more complicated than pop songs, not less. You do know? you ever push it too far like when you're writing? Do you ever go, wow, that's actually, like, I've gone too theatrical on this. This is like... like well, I think do, do you have Freddie to- Mercury never said he'd gone too far. <laughs> I mean, he used, to he, have, he used to have a piano behind his head on his bed so he could play this piano while he was asleep or, like, while he was lying down. Did he really? Yeah. Is that a true story? <laughs> oh, well, uh, uh, are any Freddie Mercury stories true? Probably. No, it doesn't matter <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't, <laughs> I, I sometimes with this record, with a part together, like the opening track on the record, Summer Romance is, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty bombastic. <laughs> it hits a chorus yeah. and just gets huge. And there's 20 strings and four French horns and it just goes boosh and it sort of belongs in an arena, but I'll never well, I don't know. I mean, I don't expect this record to go as well as my comedy career did because who the hell gets two bites at two different cherries like that? But And I don't mind. But it's written with, because I've played in those spaces, mm. my brain expands into those big, you know, epic mm. rock songs. I also remember I was brought up on U2 and these huge Yeah, stadium, stadium rock and stadium yeah, pop and yeah. stuff like that, of course. And I loved it. And and I was brought up on, on Freddie and... Um, and you know Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and talk about ostentation. <laughs> there is no shame, and it's glorious. And remember, my favourite musical was Jesus Christ Superstar. Like I have no uh, it boundaries. Go, it can't go far enough. I, I love that. Um, yeah. Kind of moving off the music just really quickly before we finish. Yeah, I, I noticed that you're like a you're part of the. Is, is it part of the British? You can tell me if I'm wrong here. I, I often am. Um, the British Humanist Association. Oh, yeah. I, when I was there, I was trying to support them as much as I could. And actually, I was discussing being president for a year, but um, I couldn't, I didn't think I'd be able to dedicate as, as much time as I would want 
I have I got married in a humanist ceremony. Um, oh, and that's me, great! And did they do it for you? Yeah, they. PHA? No, I, I, we did it in Ireland. It was the the Irish um, version, and I remember when we did it. Like I was a little bit like, because I I come from like a Catholic background, so does my missus. But neither of us are really anyway religious at all. Um, and I just remember thinking, going, "Wow, this is this is going to be really weird for my family," because there's a lot of people who are quite mm. religious. And it was this. It was the nicest ceremony. It was all around the concept of love. Um, there was no hellfire and brimstone. It was just. It was a really, just a really lovely, warm feeling of 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 a of a ceremony. Like you, everybody felt good. And even I was looking through the the room and uh, I was talking to my like aunties and and people who might be a bit more religious afterwards. They totally got it. I mean, there was one part I'm where so thrilled to hear that. That's really great. Yeah, so like I, I never really um thought I was like sort of like religious or spiritual or had any sort of a uh, group to tie myself to. But I, I, I did mm. notice that you had the humanist thing. I was like, I've never talked to anybody about that before. And I thought, I thought, like, I thought, I thought I'd ask well, you, you as somebody who has been involved with it, to sort of explain it to somebody who might mm. be listening now. Well, I think, by the way, they're called Humanist UK now. They had a bit of a brand change. But they, um, one of the main fights they've had, I mean, they do all sorts of things, including putting gut pressure on our government to put pressure on foreign governments to try and help um, prisoners of conscience. Like, like there are in, in Pakistan or in the Middle East, there, there's still blasphemy laws that can get you killed. I mean, do get people killed, including very close associates of, of Humanist UK who have died in recent years, either by rebels bombing their university office or by their own governments. Mm. Um, they go to prison and then, oops, sorry, yeah, they died in prison of some something. We didn't mean it. And this happens a lot. So that they're, they're really politically active. But one that the other big fights they have at the moment is trying to stop... Um, Britain relying so much on religious schools, Humanist UK and I and many people don't believe schools should ever be allowed to discriminate on the basis of religion. Education should actually be uh, separate from religion, especially state education. And Britain's got it all mixed in together. And the other thing they've done is tried to make it legal to have a humanist wedding without then having to... Uh, you, you might know about this, but until recently, or maybe still in some parts of, of the UK... You, you still need to get some church sign-off to say you're married. Um, and the British Humanists, or the Humanists UK, have been trying to make it that the sort of wedding you had is legally binding as well as... Yeah, no, ours, ours wasn't. Like, um, we had to go... Because we were getting married in the Republic of Ireland, um, and we had to, like, go over, like, two months beforehand, sign papers and, yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah. Uh, like, go into... And were they church, they Catholic papers? They churchy papers? <laughs> Or just government papers. No, I think it was government papers. I don't think it was yeah, churchy. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not clear on that stuff. But isn't it so crazy that in 2020, if you want to have a ceremony uh, saying, talking about, the, like, like you had, talking about the importance of love, and, and it can even be really spiritual. You can have amazing celebrants who talk about the importance of ritual and gathering and all mm. those things, but just disconnected from the idea that Jesus was magic. And and that some government, the government thinks that's less true, that that's less real as a ceremony to commit yourself to someone. It's just 
bonkers that you have to go oh no i believe jesus was magic now can i get married yeah but it's they, there's there's more catholics and there's more protestants and there's more christians and there's humanists so like they they vote mm. <laughs> so like that's, yeah that, yeah that's right that seems to be the and reason. actually i'm not sure that's true anymore in britain uh, most people yeah. are like eh. certainly not most people don't go to church very a small percentage of people are practicing like 20 some yeah i don't know anybody my age I, I, we all live in a bubble. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, that's like, right. It's hard like, to know what everyone else like, is like doing. Like, what everybody yeah. else is good doing. Data, good data on this stuff that Humanist UK gather. They're yeah. a good mob. If you wanted to get involved in a sort of gentle but long term important community, they're, they're a good mob. They're really, Andrew Copson, who's, who's their, their main man, is a very bright, very kind man. We came on to talk about your career and your and your album, and we've ended up um, uh, giving a big up to the the, the humanist UK. So, yeah, that's right. So I'll, oh, I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be what am I selling? Yeah, I'll be walking out of this going. I don't remember what it was I was have had to buy, but I'm becoming a humanist. Yeah, that that fourteen quid you were gonna uh, spend on my special edition vinyl. Uh, donate it to Humanist UK. <laughs> no, no, that's not the right message. No, <laughs> um, Tim, listen, thank you for giving me your time and um, good luck with the record coming out and the 5,000 different projects that I'm sure will happen in, in the meantime between me and you t- talking again. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's really nice to chat. You're lovely. Thanks. It's so nice we- to find out so- people are lovely.